Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Collector's Corner. I'm super excited today because I'm joined by my friend, Jamie, who is the founder of Verse. So this is going to be an awesome conversation. He's also in Grailer's DAO. We talk all the time and I actually missed you at Art Basel. And so I apologize for that. I learned very quickly that you have to pick one side of, I guess, the, the river, the bay. You're either on South Beach or you're not. And don't plan to go on the other side in that day because you're probably not going to want to sit in traffic for an hour and a half. Where were you? Uh, I think we I was supposed to meet you on the beach side, but I was in Wynwood somewhere. I don't, I don't even know. But I'm, I, I'm glad we're getting a chance to meet and connect now. And for everybody listening, this is an audio-only episode. This is an episode Creator's Corner. Jamie, as I mentioned, is the founder of Verse, which is a super interesting company doing in real life exhibitions, as well as artist uh, launches in terms of uh, primary sales and doing it very wonderfully and beautifully. So we're going to dive into all of that, just a tiny bit of house cleaning. Uh, as I mentioned, audio only. We'll have this up on YouTube, though. Please like, subscribe. It really helps us. And check out our weekly newsletter. People are really enjoying it. Stay up to date on the gen art market five days in your inbox, five minutes, all five days and five minutes in your inbox. So all that house cleaning aside, I am solo today without my normal co-host, Jared, but we're going to, it's going to be amazing, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can't wait. And, you know, I introduced you as the founder of Verse. Is there any other, anything you'd like to add into your Web3 introduction? Stephanie co-founder. I mean, I'm not from the kind of technical crypto side of things at all. So thankfully have a co-founder who is considerably stronger than I am in both OCs. But yeah, that's that's about it. Amazing. Well, I, you know, we'd love to hear just a little bit about your your background kind of growing up and the role that technology and art played in it that, you know would eventually lead to what you're doing these days. Yeah. I mean, my background's the kind of gallery gallery world. I was obsessed with art at school, like completely obsessed, doing my own paintings, drawings. And I actually studied economics at university, but kind of kept, so I'm going to turn Discord off, um, but kept doing my own kind of painting in my room. And then kind of before I graduated, essentially kind of like, put some works in a pop-up charity exhibition and kind of off the back of that, sold some of those and kind of took the proceeds and did another pop-up show with some friends. And that kind of eventually turned into starting a primary market gallery business with a friend of mine, two friends of mine. Did that for a while. I mean, it was tricky. I mean, selling emerging works, works by emerging artists is kind of tough, but we did after... A couple of years find ourselves with some quite good clients and kind of figured out that actually it's much easier to sell kind of blue chip secondary market works than it is to find like the perfect painting for above the fireplace and the perfect size that both husband and wife absolutely love. So we kind of shifted towards more of a kind of dealership model. And after about five years, we were trading some Warhols, Picassos, Keith Herring, um, some pretty exciting stuff and that kind of dealership turned into on the face of it, it as a 
good business, but I just um, didn't really love art dealing. It kind of felt that all we were really doing was like broking information at 20%. The auction houses charge a load, dealers charge a load, and charging for the fact that they know who buyer and seller are and buyer and seller don't know each other. It kind of felt that there was maybe a shelf life on it. And fast forward 10, 20, 30 years, it felt like the internet would maybe figure it out. And what what year was this? So we started it in 2010. And I'd say it kind of started to get interesting and exciting kind of artist-wise around 2017-ish. It was kind of around then that I started kind of feeling actually I'd be more interested in trying to figure out how this might go online than just kind of manually brokering things. Alongside that business, I actually did also start a, an art shipping company, storage and shipping company, which is still kind of going today. My business partner in that runs it. But yeah, that, that was also just a really good way of just getting to know a load of the galleries better. I mean, we ship for a load of the London galleries and also kind of the dealership. We were working really, really closely with a load of the galleries because pretty common for galleries to place works through third parties and we were doing a fair bit of that through doing all of that got a kind of good sense of how the art world worked and verse actually started with nothing to do with nfts or crypto or anything whatsoever it started off with me and augustine as my co-founder teaming up to try to figure out how to take this dealing process online a bit more and the thinking was if we can build a kind of inventory management system that lets people kind of input everything that they own and also keep a record of things that they're looking for then in theory we've got all the information to help people you know join those dots and identify kind of things that might be of interest at less than the 20 percent that the auction houses were charging i was still dealing a bit at the time when we started building it um this was 2020 and then nfts came around And it started to become obvious that actually the blockchain was a significantly better way of doing this than what we were working on. Ah, this is so interesting. So, okay. I love everything you've been saying. And I want to get into that transition to Web3. But I I have to ask you about the traditional art world because I don't get to speak to too many people who have played different roles in it the, the way that you have. And maybe for the listeners, I mean, I I have a sense of this now, but could you explain how the secondary market works in the traditional art world? And, you know, by contrast to Web3, which most of our listeners know, but many don't have exposure to that in the traditional art world. Yeah. Can I talk about kind of primary and how it kind of works in tandem with secondary? Yeah, please. Because there are a load of similarities and the art world, I feel, have been knocking the NFT space for the past year and a half or so, but actually like, I feel they work in really similar ways. There are certain artists who are particularly in demand, particularly hot, and they will be represented by credible galleries. So let's say totally making this up, Victoria Miro doing a show of Kasama paintings, Miro the gallery, Kasama is the artist. The gallery will hold supply back. They'll kind of keep it kind of short. There may only be 15 paintings in the show. And they'll ensure that the works are priced a decent amount below the kind of fair secondary market price. And in doing that, they can ensure anyone who can come close to affording them is going to be seeing it as a no-brainer buy. There's going to be a massive waiting list of 200 people, if not more. And they will be able to kind of cherry pick where these pieces go in a way that helps Kasama kind of grow her profile and her status as a top tier artist. 
So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. How do they make that determination? Like what determines a good collector base? If you have insight into that. In general, it's kind of expertise. So there are some collectors who really, really do know their stuff. Some collectors will own hundreds, if not thousands of things. And, you know, you're collecting art for decades. You're a billionaire. Like it's your main hobby. You're going to eventually end up knowing a serious amount about it. And yeah, there are certain collectors whose collections carry certain prestige because they are deemed to really know their shit. Is the ultimate goal that essentially like me as a curator or whoever is determining who should get Cassandra's work, my goal is presumably to maximize the value of that work as defined by a secondary sale yeah. later? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's all branding. And what the galleries will also very often do is say, you can buy this piece if you also take this one and gift it to a museum. That really does happen quite a lot because if someone buys a piece and donates another one to Tate, MoMA, wherever it might be, that is like seriously helping the artist's profile. And it will very often make sense to the collector as well because they're getting something way below market. And the galleries will kind of have stipulations in there saying, you know, you absolutely under any circumstances can't flip this. I mean, like it's kind of strange in the NFT space, a lot of the artists are kind of wanting to be quote unquote shown at Sotheby's and Christie's. Like it's the total opposite in the art world. It's like it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like if you have very, very few pieces at auction, then if one comes up a year, it's probably going to sail because demand will be bigger than supply. Whereas, you know, if you have 10 auctions a year, that's a disaster for your market. So these kind of top hot art world artists really want to avoid the auction houses and the galleries really want to avoid flippers. The galleries, they will know each other and they will blacklist people who are seen to be flipping. So the top collectors will know, okay, fine. If I get access to this, I'm I'm either burying it and it's never resurfacing or I need to sell it in a very sneaky way. (laughs) I'm sorry. One last question on this thread. Like what is considered a flip? Like how short of a time frame would be a flip in the traditional art world? Five years. I mean, a lot of galleries have contracts saying you can't sell within three years, five years. Got it. Got it. Okay. So sorry. You were explaining how a gallery might think about the the primary sale. And uh, we, we were going to talk about kind of the contrast to the secondary sales in Web3, or it sounds like the similarities. On the primary side of things, the galleries are very careful about who gets these pieces. And it's only certain galleries, though, who are ever in a position to be playing these games. They're generally the galleries showing it freeze and Basel art fairs um they're really the kind of the top two the galleries who kind of like control the world's top collections those collectors pretty much only buy those through those galleries because they're all playing the same game they're all propping up the same markets it's a pretty fascinating game got it got it and then when it comes to secondary sales i mean my understanding was there's just a lot more friction in it it's a lot harder for buyers to find sellers seems like even a lot of the profiles and buyers and sellers is such that they don't want to be interacting with each other. Uh, and I'm sure to some extent, that's why you could have a business taking a 20% cut because there's just so much friction that it justifies paying that premium. Yeah. And the culture is so incredibly different in that world versus the NFT space, because obviously on the blockchain, everything is totally transparent. Whereas in the art world, The second you are seen to be actively trying to sell something, the work is completely devalued. The way to sell a piece is to make sure that, like, I mean, the term is burnt. Like, if a a piece starts circulating and everyone knows that it's for sale, then it's pretty obvious that the seller can't sell it, or at least 
they're being unrealistic about the price and a work does go around really fast it could become very difficult to sell something very quickly if that happens so people are usually really cagey about sharing images they're really really sensitive and it's really really hard to find very good stock because of that i as a dealer would waste so much time like going for endless coffees with people to see what they've got because they can't send it to me by whatsapp etc etc like so painful <laughs> Got it. that's interesting so in what ways do you feel like the web3 secondary market or maybe you could answer both primary and secondary like in what ways do you feel like the web3 market is maybe a better experience for collectors and in what ways is it maybe worse well it's definitely better because the culture it's fine to have something listed for sale like it's just not perceived to be a problem and that whole concept of burning just doesn't exist in the same way i mean maybe to an extent i mean people will notice if a particular piece is kind of lingering at a particular price point but in the gallery world if a piece does the rounds then you've pretty much got to take it off the market for two years and then try again when it's perceived to be fresh again i mean it's really problematic ways in which the web3 space is worse metamask yeah wallets <laughs> it's difficult it takes a lot of getting a head around i've tried kind of getting friends into it and it's there's so much you need to know to have a chance you know i i like that it's taking you that long to answer this which obviously in web3 now so we're you know perhaps a little bit biased but i you know it seems to me that you can just get way more secondary sales and i don't know what it's like in the traditional art world but at least from my outsider perspective, it seems like there's not that many different collectors in the space. Whereas here, I feel like now, you know, I can own a Chromie Squiggle with somebody from probably like some country I've never even heard of, and we can have that connection. And the velocity of sales, it feels like to me, is lubricated by the ownership just moving around like that online and perhaps that allows you to build more community i know an overused word but you know we can kind of appreciate different things with people from all sorts of different walks of life i think it's absolutely epic i can't believe it's happening it's so cool and walking around bars in miami like it's almost jaw-dropping that it's that this old dealership model is still a thing like people are speculatively creating and shipping things to the other side of the world with no buyer in mind they're flying over themselves so they can manually broker a deal they're sending half the things back it takes weeks to do tens of thousands of dollars to make it happen like it's absolutely like it it feels insane that this is still happening it just feels like web3 is it feels like the nft space the same stuff is happening just with no costs and literally 10,000 times the speed if not more. It's so cool. It's 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 really cool. And I think that a lot of people are like realizing that and, and feeling that. And I you know, we were talking before we started recording about how it's just a great community that of people you run into. And you and I are both in Grailers Dow, but outside of Grailers Dow too. I mean, almost everybody I meet is a, a high quality person in the web three art, gen art space. And you know, it's just surprising because, you know, statistically you would think that wouldn't be the case, <laughs> but it, it ends up working out really well. And, uh, yeah, I, I have so many questions for you in regards to this. 
I guess like one last one kind of on the art market and how you see things. And, you know, if we have time at the end, we can circle back to some of these, but it feels like to me, the, the base of collectors is going to be exponentially larger because now more people can experience that joy of collecting art or even interacting with it and share it amongst their peers online albeit in discord with all fake names, but you know, still their peers. <laughs> <laughs> and I massively hope so. Like it's, I've, I've never had so much fun. Like I never saw myself as a collector when I was dealing, like we as a dealership own some things, but it wasn't anywhere near as fun owning those physical pieces as it is owning these digital works that I've collected recently it's a part of like being on the same kind of like being in the same collection as friends of yours it's it's knowing that it is a bit more liquid it does feel a bit safer like i feel way less worried about spending money on an nft than any physical piece i've ever bought if things go wrong you can be pretty confident you're going to be able to get out at some price yeah especially if you've you've done your homework and once you know the market and i think that this is going to be like at least a couple orders of magnitude bigger than the traditional art world. I I know that there are a lot of people who collect traditional art, not just sort of the high-end stuff that gets all the headlines, but I think it's just a different level with, with people all being on the internet and seeing these things. And once you get onto discords into these communities, it's, it takes it up another notch because there's like social, not necessarily pressure, but maybe momentum that is, is pushing it towards there. And, I've been thinking a lot lately about this idea of, you know, how financialized the art, I mean, everything blockchain is financialized. And so it makes sense that art, which is already a financial asset in a lot of regards, but maybe isn't always uh, talked about as much in, in those regards. But I, I, I feel like the fact that people are spending money that they can't afford to lose, which like, let's be honest, it's, it's happening or that they really wouldn't want to lose it. It, it just helps lubricate the market. I feel like the market is bigger. Um, I know that like there is talk about flippers and sometimes, you know, I'm upset at the botters that are, you know, botting out the next art box drop and putting it up for 20% more, but I don't know. It almost feels like it's a part of the ecosystem. Like it's just uh, like, like we're in this coral reef and there's all sorts of different fish and animals that are doing things. And that's just like what they do. And it's just like a part of it, but it adds to the whole, you know, I, I think that, you, you can't, I don't know if you can have this such a big fast growing market that's so diverse without having that kind of stuff. Mm, I agree. Has it stalled at all? Like has the gen art space, has the growth slowed a bit, do you think in terms of number of people, like new entrants to it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, so for everybody listening, it, it's Wednesday, February 8th. Uh, and Jamie and Verse are in the middle of a an epic exhibition with amazing artists that that's stretching a while i think over two weeks the drop it it's really cool what you've been doing i've been following it and and, and putting it on our release calendar so people can follow really along. appreciate it thank you so much of course yeah. it's great yeah. art and look so but to answer your question i i think that like the supply demand is currently a little bit imbalanced in the favor of supply i think that you know it, we had a huge run-up in these prices for art blocks and generative art. And I'm sure a lot of people noticed that in August. And even, I mean, for, it sounds like for the standards of traditional art, it's still quite high for, you know, first time or second time project launching artists to to sell with these kind of numbers. 
And so I think that we've had a lot of artists come in and there's a lot of really good artists and they're still putting out work. I just don't think the collector base has grown that much. And more importantly, with such a bad bear market, I think a lot of the collectors are not spending as much as perhaps they were prior uh, because they don't know when they'll get that return, if they will. I see that turning around. Like I personally think that the market is bottomed uh, as it, this recording, you know, Bitcoin's around $23,000, Ethereum's around sixteen fifty or so. I think a lot of people are expecting it to crash back down and it, it may for a little bit, but I feel like the worst is probably over with all the various implosions in the market with Celsius and Luna and FTX. I mean, it's just like, it, it's hard to get much worse than those types of like really bad liquidations. So I think that once people feel like the there's some stability in like the cryptocurrency world, they'll loosen up a little bit. And I don't know if that's in two weeks or two months, but that's my expectation. And I do think we'll see more people come in uh, and, you know, we'll be able to hit more art, but you know, it's, it's almost like those predator prey curves. If you remember from biology where it's like, oh, there's too many mice and then the number of eagles grow, but then they overhunt the mice and some of the eagles die off because there's not enough food. And then the mice population goes back up. It's never going to be exactly right. So that's my read on it. But, you know, I'd love to hear your, you know, your take that you're working with all these artists and you're thinking about launches, perhaps even advising on supply. Yeah, it's really difficult. I can't see it making sense to try to curb global supply of digital arts. I mean, like, that's impossible. Artists are going to create and put stuff out there. And looking at the physical art world, in any given year, the total amount of stuff out there isn't going to grow that much because it's been going for such a long time. Whereas here, it's very possible that in a single year, the entire supply can double. As time goes on, that percentage increase is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. It almost feels like we should not be thinking about trying to keep total global supply down because we can't. So let's just build that base and over time the amount of new supply per year will start to dwindle yeah really tricky on the kind of like advising artists on an artist by artist basis yeah i i, I don't i don't have an answer yeah what are your thoughts look my my thinking just is is right now it's hard to say right but like from closed doors conversations i think collectors feel tapped out I think that uh, it's not a matter of don't release art. I think it's just a question of how do you price it? And I think that what's really interesting about this world, because we have both the primary sales, but then the secondary sales are also quite robust. And of course, the the royalty or the percentage cut that the artist gets on secondary is, I'm sure not, I don't know the numbers, but I'm sure it's not close to what it is for the primary sale. At the same time, like in any market, you have to take what the market's giving you. You can never force the market to do something you don't want to. Like that's how you get wrecked essentially, <laughs> right? And so if the market is feeling tight, I would just release at a lower supply and say, you know what? This is going to be a building block collection for me. I'm going to release, sorry, a lower price point. If Even if you don't want to modify the supply, get your art in a lot of people's hands. Maybe it trades, maybe people hold it for a month, make some money on it, sell it. They get good feelings about you and your art and then set yourself up for that bigger primary when the market has has changed a little bit. Um, that's that's how I'm thinking about it. And if I talk to artists, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, the space moves fast. Like we could be saying a different thing in 
a month from now, if uh, especially if my my hopium case works out and liquidity enters the market. But I think it's really a matter of time, though, Jamie. I mean, if you feel the way I do, and you're here on this podcast, you probably do. Uh, it, it's just a matter of time until more and more people get to experience collecting gen art as NFTs, as opposed to PFPs or games or all these things that have external dependencies that you don't control. And again, like if you're putting in money, looking for a return, which a lot of people are, it doesn't feel great to feel like you don't have any control or, you know, some team or this or another is in charge of, of the, the, this asset for you or how much it's worth at least. It's really tricky. I feel like we, as a community just need to do all we can to grow the space faster than <laughs> the supply can kind of, we could, you got to talk to Jerome Powell about that. That's yeah. uh, it's a little bit in his wheelhouse. And for people who don't know who that is, it's the Federal Reserve Chairman and the interest rate hikes that uh, crushed that crushed the bull market. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we're, we're trying to kind of make it more accessible, I guess, to the non-crypto, non-investor crowd. Yeah, you kind of mentioned, I think, before we jumped in, like, what are we trying to do? Like... I feel it'd be really cool because you said about five minutes ago, you were kind of talking about the bear market. It'd be great if we weren't relying on crypto markets and more crypto people to get going for the markets to start picking up because there are so many people I feel who could potentially be interested in this. I was saying to a friend the other day that gen art feels like it's as good. I mean, it's as good as football. I never thought I'd say that, but football's my favorite thing in the world you meet someone new they're into they're a big football fan you can talk to them for hours gen Art's that times like 10 it's so good and i feel we've just got to somehow show people in a way that just makes it really easy because it's so fun and it's made my life so much better i get so much out of it yeah me, me too i i left a, a lucrative medical career to come and do this currently not making any money. So I, I, I totally get it. And look, I, I hear what you're saying and I, I want to get there too. And that's, that's why I'm doing what we're doing, right? We try to help people onboard, make it easy for them to collect. You want to buy something for 20 Tez. Okay, fine. Here's something nice. You want to buy something for $20,000 on Ethereum, like here are options too. And I think there's a range and it's, it's so much fun. I think that the financialization really accelerated it though. Like I think that everyone would eventually have gotten there, but the fact that people felt crypto rich and felt like they could go and buy Fidenza for 50 ether or whatever that was happening in all the crazy, well, 50 ether is cheap now, but I'm sure at the time it felt crazy. I think that has brought things forward, but because it's volatile, we kind of came back down and now we've got to just grow a little more organically. And and part of it is verse. I mean, uh, you know, six months ago, I hadn't really heard of verse uh, or, well, I had, I remember you guys, no, no, that wasn't you guys, but like, and maybe, so maybe we could bring it back to, to verse. I'd love to hear, okay, it's 2020. You've decided to create this digital marketplace for secondary sales of art. When did you and uh, your co-founder find out about web three and what was that like to be like oh wait we, we could use this i mean honestly i feel i was almost like embarrassingly like unreceptive to it because it was in my mind all people and bored apes and neither of them spoke to me a huge amount and it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time for that light bulb to go off but 
I mean, ultimately, I, I don't like physical things. Like, I genuinely feel happier the fewer physical things I have. And digital possessions make sense to me. Again, I think I was kind of blinded by bald apes. What made me feel actually we really, really need to do this was realizing that artists in the art world, even digital artists, just felt they couldn't go anywhere near NFTs because of that kind of stigma. And it's still happening. I mean, I was going around freeze in October. There were 30, 40 digital pieces, one being presented by Pace. None of them were on the blockchain. And I kind of spoke to a friend of mine at White Cube about a, it was a Christian Markley video piece. And I asked a White Cube director, like, how do I buy this? And she told me it comes with a hard drive and an authenticity certificate. And it's like, what? Like, why? Like, how does this make any sense at all? And it's it's obviously stigma. Like these artists just feel they can't do it. They can't have NFT anywhere near their brand. It's just that tarnished. So yeah, we're we're trying to kind of help people see that actually there is good stuff here. Ultimately, we do want to onboard those art world artists because they and the galleries do hold the keys to the collectors who really move the markets and also those top museums. And I've spoken with family members who just don't get this at all, but for some reason can get their head around the fact that a painting can be worth tens of millions. I'm pretty sure that if we can get some more of those institutions and those kinds of galleries and David Hockney and the world's top artists going here, I'm pretty sure we can change the NFT brand. I think it, I think it'll happen. I think that you know the fact that the the major, I guess, branding of NFTs to the outside world, uh, to folks who are not collecting them, is based on bored apes, uh, tells you that. And and I'll be honest, like I didn't really know much about the art side. Initially, even though I was in the crypto world since 2017, I had to really dive in to learn. And the, the one of the first NFTs I bought was a, a mutant ape. And so I was one of those people who came in for the money and then found something that I felt was really valuable and stayed. And I know you're I talking about cool, artists. That's the coolest thing about it. How like people who can start off seeing it as a I don't know, a trade, actually realize the art side of it is just so cool. Like, I mean, that is awesome in itself. It is. It is. And I think a, a similar thing will will happen with artists. It'll it'll just take time again for that to permeate. And it, it, companies like you all are important for that. And so I guess like going back to you having this realization that these digital artists didn't have any way to sell their work easily online, at least. And they didn't it, so was that kind of the genesis to say, okay, let's try out NFTs? And what were those first shows like? Yeah, I spoke with a few artists who really were respected within the art worlds and outright refused to do NFTs. They were kind of like looking at Nifty Gateway's UI and just thinking, this just isn't for me. Like we're showing at Freeze, Basel, framed, presented in a completely different way. And you just can't present your work with people who don't get the art world and it's just not even an option for these artists. So honestly, we didn't really have any idea what we were building at the beginning because <laughs> it was moving so quickly anyway. But we kind of knocked up an MVP in about five months. And the first show was, we actually kind of invited a load of art world people to, and a few people from the NFT world to nominate an artist for this first exhibition. So we had Noah Davis, who's now kind of, he, he was at Christie's and he's now... I think he's head of like CryptoPunks for Yuga. 
We had um, Elena Soboleva, who's kind of head of digital at David Werner. Yeah, a, a load of really interesting people kind of nominate artists. And Tyler Hobbs was one of the nominators, and he nominated Zankan, which was a colossal stroke of luck on our past. And I think that was kind of, that helps us get some kind of very early traction. That, that was in our very first show. And when was that again? That was in May last year. May, okay. Got it. So right around, or right before NFT NYC, if I'm... Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think I was actually in New York when that went live. Yeah. Got it. So, wow, it's it's funny because it feels like you're such a, at least in the gen art world, a household name to think that it's not even been a year since your first show. Yeah, nine months or so. And, and why did you decide to have an in-person show along with... Well, really, you're selling the NFTs, or sorry, the artwork online, right? The certificate of authority is on that NFT. And it, it strikes me the way that it's set up. It's it's probably primarily Web3 buyers who are buying it. Not even, I know you have the ability to buy with US dollars and credit card and all that, but let's be real. I mean, you know, everyone's like waiting, ready for the second to tick uh, and just like buying it online. I, I assume traditional art collectors are, would have trouble keeping up with that pace. Which is kind of part of the issue. And and I can't figure out what the solution is there other than an open edition, which is never going to be a good deal anyway. Hard to know how to give non-NFT people a good deal. <laughs> I, I think I think you just have to have reserves. I thought about this too. I don't know any way around it because, I mean, you know, the, the NFT DGENs are just going to gas up and power through if they have to. Like, that's what I would do. That's what you would probably do, right? If it was something you really wanted. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Or secondary, I guess. On the physical side of things, though, honestly, it wasn't the plan at all. In fact, it was like the opposite of the plan. <laughs> we definitely didn't set out to be a, to do anything physical at all. But it became kind of apparent that a lot of the artists... Well, so we started off trying to kind of work with artists who have had some good success in the art world. But it takes a huge amount of understanding what's happening in the NFT space to have any chance of doing well. And you've really got to get involved to have a chance of doing it properly. And it's been honestly really difficult onboarding many of those artists. Like we're, We've got a really interesting show coming up in the next month. We've got another one in six weeks, but they're few and far between. And honestly, we've seen a lot of like not that well considered projects and it's been kind of tough so most of the artists you will probably notice that we've worked with to date are kind of native to the space and a lot of these artists don't come from a kind of art world gallery background and it's pretty cool and exciting to them being able to show in a physical space like so i think part of it is we're really lucky like we're we're kind of working in this kind of it's kind of like a gallery space on demand building um, so whenever we've got a, an interesting show we can take a gallery out and being able to kind of offer artists that i think is is a real yeah like artists clearly get something really great out of it but also i do think it kind of can add to a series i, I don't know if you saw the kind of rod san one that we did the uh, hypnagogic yeah exactly i found that so interesting personally and and like I didn't anticipate this at all, but like seeing it in the space, taking a video of it, having all these photos, when when it came to actually trying to buy one, in my mind, it, like, it just felt so different to just like buying a JPEG on FX hash. Like it almost felt like I was buying a digital version of a beautiful, important, framed up physical piece, even though 
I was probably never going to get the physical. That's been kind of really interesting and quite exciting. It's almost certainly going to be the case that a tiny, tiny number of collections end up being the only ones that matter in five, 10 years time. It's about making it feel special and exciting owning these works. And so I think the more that we can kind of do to create these exciting, special feeling brands around these collections, I actually think there's a lot of value there, which kind of sounds strange. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I, I think it it does. And I, I think that there's, it's all about, in my mind, like the understanding, like first developing a, a connection with that art. And I think your experience of seeing these beautiful works printed and so well taken care of and just experiencing that with all of your senses, I'm sure that adds another level of connection with that art. And to your point, you're not just buying a amorphous JPEG that may or never may or may not ever be physical. You're buying something that you've already had some kind of a relationship with. And it's not exactly the same, but when we do our deep dives and we talk to artists or even just before, before we talk to artists and we would go break down a collection, okay, what are all the traits in anti-cyclone? You start feeling more behind it as well. And it goes to another level when you hear the artists talk about how long they spent on it and how they were thinking about it and how they pulled from these different parts of their life, which sometimes you had a similar experience in your own life. All of that, I think, adds to the connection you feel with that art and makes it more special. And it, it, it just, it's another category, I think. And then I think you, you slap a community around it. I mean, look at Gazers, right? I mean, that's like, I'm sure some people met their best friends there and that's, that's what they do. And, you know, I feel like I'm great friends with a lot of people in Grailers and yeah, we don't have an NFT together, but I mean, we have the Grailers token, which is its own NFT, but I think once you can, if you can really get that community around a collection or it doesn't have to be a collection, it could be an artist, right? X copy is a community, even though a lot of folks don't have as one of ones. I think that is something unique and interesting because we're now marrying this like symbol of what you stand for with this like crazy social, super low friction, digital social world, even lower friction because you don't have to tell anybody anything about yourself, right? It's like, you can really just be whoever you want on there. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating. And I, I do think we'll see some dynamics that are different, but I think it's wonderful that you are baking that into your shows and you have this physical experience. I haven't been to any of them. I wanted to ask, are they always in London or are you jumping around to different cities? They have only been in London so far. Currently, yes. That's yeah. okay. We don't. We won't put that <laughs> that additional logistical headache on you for now. <laughs> uh, but like, so for artists who may not be familiar or collectors who may not be familiar, what's kind of the the goal when when an artist approaches you and you decide to do a show? Um, how do you how do you think about it? Like, why would an artist come to do a show with Verse uh, versus a like say? Um, I, I'm just going to throw a couple examples out, so maybe you can explain the differences. But like, say, like a Unit London, right? And and how might that be different than a Sotheby's? And then, of course, you have like Art Blocks, which most of our listeners are more familiar with. But like, uh, when should an artist decide to come and work with you all versus some of these others? I mean, if you've got a choice of verse or Art Blocks, 100% choose Art Blocks. <laughs> um... Well, well, I, I was leading you there to say, hey, if you want an amazing in-person show as well, then you got to come to Verse because Artblocks doesn't do that. 
Well, that's the thing. Like we didn't set out to do this, but I think that is probably what I would say now. <laughs> yeah. Unit London, I mean, they they do kind of great physical shows as well. Sotheby's Sotheby's do kind of primary exhibitions. I guess they do, don't they? they they've yeah. done a couple auctions, a little bit one-off. I know William Mapon had an auction with them. And yeah, I mean, look, this is how I see Versus is place as well. Uh, I've communicated with the Unit London folks. They're awesome, right? But it, it's not, it's more, I think, of like a traditional art purchasing experience rather than a Web3 purchasing experience. I, I looked into some auctions with Philips in London. They're auctioning off some NFTs. And that was like a totally traditional, you know, you have to KYC. Um, so that's kind of how I view it. I mean, and I, I think you guys are also, I really like the innovations you're doing. You know, we have this uh, Melissa Wydirect show coming up and that's like a really cool mechanism. Uh, that's something that I'm curious, like, is that something you all strive for too? Is to say, hey, look, we'll try to be flexible. We'll try to like let the artists do a, a different experience with their collectors in terms of yeah. how they sell, et cetera. I can't remember how the Melissa mechanic, maybe isn't the word, the, the, the kind of collector selects thing came about. I, I'm pretty sure we suggested it to her, or at least I think we did. We're really lucky to have a really good tech team and I just find it so tempting. Like every time we have an interesting idea, it's like, well, we we got to do that. I like, I, I almost don't understand why other platforms aren't experimenting a bit more. I, I guess Artbox kind of, They've got a stunning winning formula and maybe it's a case of it doesn't make sense to change it. I don't know. It's just it's so fun. I mean, we it almost feels like we shouldn't experiment as much as we are, but can't really help it. it it's it's certainly fun for us as collectors to see it. Uh, and, and I can't remember which show you had earlier in the week, but I know there was like a physical rug that came with the yeah. NFT. Uh, and I'm sorry that the, it's escaping me, but... Like Tra- Tra- Travis Small is the answer. Yeah, Travis Small. I thought that was so cool. And, you know, I'm Indian. The rug was made in India. So I was like, oh, it's an Indian connection there. It's a little out of my price point, but it was beautiful. And I, I love that, that that was a part of it. And I like the experimentation you're doing. And, and for people who don't know, the, the Melissa W drop, it's, it's $400 flat, but every minute that goes by, the supply shrinks. It's a theoretical max of, of 2000 But the idea is that, you get to a point where the supply makes sense for that price and you get to pre-select your outputs and, and take an output that you selected and, and lock that in as your mint. So uh, different in a couple of different ways. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's really cool. So, you know, you guys are experimenting, doing I'm, different things. I, how do you think that's going to, I'm so interested to see what actually happens post sale there like are people gonna feel less inclined to want to sell things that they've handpicked is it not going to make any difference at all are people going to feel less inclined to buy things that someone else is i don't know i you know so i've recently looked at the qqls that have been minted mm-hmm. and some of them i would certainly buy mm-hmm. i guess the problem for me is i like personally i'm priced out of the mint pass and I think anyone who has bought the mint pass would want to sell their output for near that price. So they feel just a little bit too expensive for me. But I think there are certainly some outputs there that I think are beautiful. And I, you know, I probably never would have come up with myself. So I, I think you'll see, I'm sure there'll be some that are just like very specific to that person's taste. Yeah. I mean, yeah. To the extent you get anything like that in the algorithm anyway, I mean, they all look pretty nice. So I, I, you're probably not going to have as many duds as you would in QQL, at least potentially. 
Although most mm-hmm. of the duds don't get minted, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it'll be interesting to see for mm-hmm. sure. I, it'll be fun and I'm glad that she's doing it and you all are facilitating it. Um, but I wanted to ask you. So she's awesome. Like she is so smart and so up for kind of just trying things. Yeah. Great. Well, so speaking of experimenting, like what, or maybe not experimenting too much, but where do you want to take verse in the next three to five years? Like, or are you just taking it day by day? How, how are you thinking about it? Three to five years is a long time. <laughs> All right, I've one got, to three years in the future. No idea where this space is going to be. Like, definitely want to still be doing it, but oh, yeah, who knows where the space is going to be then? So one thing I kind of find a little I, pace paces Tyler show that they're doing whenever it is in a few months. Really cool that it's happening, but the art world and the rest of the world are going to see an artist who they're not familiar with selling for absolutely crazy money, and I just think it's going to maybe not resonate with people all that well. I'm really excited about trying to pair credible art brands, galleries and artists, top art world brands, maybe working with top NFT brands, at accessible prices in fiat. And I'm so sure that it's only a matter of time before we start to see loads of people getting involved. I was really excited by the Zancan sale we did in December because well-known artist who has so many supporters for a hundred dollars in fiat with a massive army of like tezos super fans just doing everything they possibly could to get their friends into nfts it's hard to say how many people we onboarded that week but we sold works to i, I think there were over two thousand unique buyers and 25 percent were on card so that's hopefully around a max of 500 people i don't know maybe 200 new people joined i think that's what i'm excited by well-known artists affordable prices fiat really great in the space awesome and do you think that i mean you mentioned before that right now it seems like more of the well-known artists have come from the web3 side mm-hmm. to show on verse and, and, and launch a project on verse what do you think it'll take to get the well-known traditional artists to try out more of the Web3 experience? I think we are getting there. It's just taking a really, really long time. We are working with a digital artist who's had a very successful career in the traditional art world. It's looking like something's going to happen, but it takes a lot of education and showing people kind of why it's exciting buying into a collection and being part of a collection and a lot of artists just want to do like an edition of I, I don't know obviously a generative series is significantly more exciting than an additioned work or a single one of one or whatever we're doing a lot of work and just trying to help a lot of those artists see what's happening and i do think it'll start to come in the coming months i think we're getting closer i i think so too and maybe i'm more of a i don't know what the right word is a uh, ruthless pragmatist, but I, I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't like said this too much on the record, so we'll put it out there. I think that I think Web three is effectively creating a parallel art system, art world, similar to how a parallel financial world is being built. And I think that from what I can tell, the trad art world is hasn't fully caught on yet and 
legitimately, it's only been like two years, right? So sometimes it's like I need to step back and be like, okay, Artblocks launched like slightly over two years ago. This is all very, very new. Yes, there was super rare before, but it feels like Gen Art really poured gasoline on the fire and, and resonated with people. And I think that just like most things in a capitalist world, which, you know, we can argue if that's the case, but we'll start with the premise that's a capitalist world. Like people follow the money. And I just think like, look, if you know, Bitcoin is trading or like the total crypto market cap is roughly $1 trillion, this goes to 10 trillion. And if the status and the flex is to buy art, like I, I think you might be surprised at how quickly the Web3 art world becomes bigger finance, like dollars terms than the traditional art world. And mm. I think that it may be too late for them to like, I think they might have to start adopting web three. I, I think in 10 years, they might be like, how do I get into six, five, two, nine museum? And like, not the other way around where it's like, how do we get into the MoMA that mm. I, I kind of feel like that might be what happens. I mean, I could be wrong, but this is sort of like a classic innovators dilemma story mm. that you see where the incumbents kind of sleep on the, the new thing and poo poo it until it's too late. The gallery person would say, well, that makes no sense because why would one of the best artists in the world who is incredibly well-versed in art history ever want to show with someone who has shown no evidence of knowing or caring anything about art until money got involved? Because all their friends are more rich than them now and it starts mattering. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm sorry, but that's my answer for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I, I could be wrong, right? And and I hope that the traditional world embraces it more because there's so many fantastic best practices and smart people and amazing artists and all of that that are coming over. And I'm I'm really glad to see that we have like this art blocks pace collaboration. And I know like you know, Snowfro and you and other leaders in the industry are working towards this. So I I hope it happens that way, but you see this play out industry over industry, right? Like famous examples, uh, like, you know, Henry Ford, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses or yeah. like uh, Kodak, the, the camera company, right. Just deciding that digital photos were like a fad and that was dumb type mm -hmm. of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like why wouldn't you want the print right away type of stuff. And you know yourself, you're in this world. There there are reasons for why collectors prefer to be here, whether they're no-name collectors or... I, I, look, I, I think it's probably a matter of time before the big collectors who are even known in the traditional world start buying NFTs. Then, then the galleries don't have any argument, even if they still believe that the world functions in that framework. Mm. It's an interesting one because you buy from the top galleries because you know those galleries are making the markets, supporting the markets, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously those galleries aren't even, that role isn't needed in this space, obviously. Do you see a world where artists are really going direct to their collectors? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this uh, in the sense that from my understanding, the traditional world, it's very difficult for an artist to do everything like the painting and promoting themselves and kind of putting on their shows and facilitating secondaries. Mm. Is this something that you think in web three, an artist could really be like a solo uh, one person show? It's a conversation I've had with colleagues 
a lot in the past few weeks because a lot of artists are starting to kind of look to agents, which is interesting. I, I, I do feel artists want to just kind of outsource that entire function. My, my thinking is that will there be the option to do it yourself if you want to? I get that like a lot of people want to focus on their craft and do their own thing, right? Um, Lars Wander, you all did a show with him. He's like represented or gets help, whatever they formally call it with Artex code. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure we actually talked to Lars, like he does, he wants to focus on his art. Totally makes sense. But should a Lars want to do it all themselves? I mean, I look at someone like Matt Kane, who seems to have kind of spun up his own brand and community around gazers. And I, I don't, I don't think he's doing it purposely like, oh, I need to build a brand. I think that this is just like naturally what he's done, but it has manifested in like, I don't know if he really needs anybody to continue making a living as an artist. It's such a difficult and interesting question because like on the one hand, it's like, well, what are the chances that the world, you know, 50 world-class artists are also going to be world-class marketeers and self-promoters. Like it just feels very unlikely that those skill sets are going to overlap and it feels like it should make sense that you should get help doing that from someone who's world-class a bit but this space isn't just about the art is that a bad thing to say i don't well, know I, like, like the community is part of it like it's and it's a really important part of it i think you you have to drive attention to what you do even if you're really really good at it and mm in the traditional art world to your point, like you want to be in one of these top galleries and then the top museums, because that's how people find you. And that's like how the crowd gets the signal from the noise that, Hey, this is someone that should be paid attention to in the web three world. It, you kind of have yeah, but, to, but, but actually, sorry, actually like the top, a lot of the really top artists from the art world are pretty genius at marketing themselves as well. I mean, like Warhol, he worked with Gallery, sure, but he was his own marketer, hundred percent. Hearst, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it matters, right? And I guess like, I don't, I think it's going to be some intersection, like a function of how good of an artist you are and a function of how good of a market marketer you are. And you you can't be like horrible at either one, but you also don't necessarily need to be like the best at both. And I think that I think that specifically in our web3 world because there is just so much going on. Like it's hard to remember a, a drop from 2 months ago, right? It's like, "Oh wow, that was so long ago." I mean, even 2 weeks ago sometimes it's just like hard to remember. And I think finding a way i mean that that community is almost like your your attention moat right like people talk about having a moat around a business it's like you need a moat around like collector's attention so you can like keep it and they can remember you because this work is so good man it's so good i look at i remember having this thought like 6 months ago or something scrolling through fx hash we were talking about fx hash earlier and I'm like this art is great this is great this one's great and i'm like there's so much great art and it's only going to get more and more great art, especially with like AI and all this stuff. Fine. Like it, the art being good, cannot be the, the barrier. It's gotta be like what well, you're able to quality, pay attention to. Quality is also a function of like how cool the artist makes it. And the artist has a massive role to play in making something cool, no doubt. And I feel like how much you enjoy owning something really does correspond to like the artist's own 
brand and yeah i guess they do need to do that themselves yeah to some extent and some of these are i mean look at x copy like i am in no uh position to say is he the best glitch artist in the world like i don't i don't know that much about glitch art i like his art i like the the vibes but i'm like how much of this is the mystique and the marketing right like I would not be surprised if the foremost that does make the art good though. Like that kind of makes the art good in a weird way. Yeah, I mean you're right. It it does, but it's also like good social commentary. But all I'm saying is, if if somebody came up to me and said X Copy is not the best glitch artist in the world, I wouldn't be able to say yes or no. But I'd be like, I don't think it matters like that much. You know, he's good. He's clearly good enough and fantastic at building the brand around himself. So. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 a uh, we're probably uh, de- devolving into a, a bit of a, a tangent uh, here, but I yeah I I'm really interested to see how it shakes out. And you know I, I have a little bit of a horse in the race. Like I would love to see that some of the practices that occur in the traditional art world, like behind doors kind of deals and. You know, if you know, you know, you can get in. Like, I I don't like that as much, you know? I mean, conversely, on the other side, in our Web3 world, we have botters who can, you know, <laughs> bot the hell out of a drop and you have no chance, which is to me similar, but different. So I would, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see how this all evolves as an ecosystem. And we haven't even talked about the financialization of it all, which I think is going to be insane. I think this is going to blow people's minds. Like if, if people in the art world were shocked at a piece changing hands, like five times the first day it's released or something, wait till they hear about how people are like, you know, have put their mortgage on an NFT and borrowed against it to go buy like a squiggle and then like staked it for 20% APR to go buy something. You know what? It's like, it's going to get crazy. I love it. I'm beyond excited. I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Uh, okay. Let, let's switch gears a tiny bit because I always love to hear about folks as a collector. And we talked about you collect gen art. You're a big fan of the Tezos ecosystem, FX hash, object. Where do, where do you see that playing out? It's a, it's a little bit controversial amongst collectors. Some people love Tezos, some people love Ethereum, some people are playing a bit in the middle. Um, what's your thesis on on how the Tezos art ecosystem evolves? To be totally honest, I've given it almost no thought when buying things. Like really almost no thought whatsoever, which is probably reckless and stupid. I actually was hoping you'd say that. um not not because it's reckless and stupid but because i think it kind of goes to show you that that's like it's a lot of fun to collect mm, there in my opinion it's so fun i'm definitely a bit addicted to fx hash i just don't think about it to be honest i have i guess a little bit more in the past week i I haven't really been collecting that much recently because we've had a busy couple of weeks and yeah, there's been some talk around Tezos. I don't know. I, d- I don't think I've got anything massively interesting to say on it, to be honest. <laughs> well, may- maybe uh, d- d- why haven't you been collecting on Ethereum as much? Maybe we can ask. Um, because 
it's way more fun to buy 10 things than one. I love buying cheap stuff and seeing what happens to it. And the FX hash community is really, really cool and really fun. And I spend a fair bit of time in their kind of price discussion channel. Everything about it is just more fun than collecting on an Ethereum for me. I've spent quite a few Friday nights just like on FX hash in their Discord, <laughs> just like maybe spending like $300 but buying 30 things. Ethereum definitely doesn't permit that. No, you, you spend all that on gas. Yeah. On the, uh, especially yeah. these days. Well, hey, you know what you were saying? I want you to think about that quote you just said. It's a lot of fun to buy 10 different things, 300 bucks. Think about that the next time you're talking to artists about pricing. Just saying, you, you, you well, get that I, I mean, flywheel. And honestly, like, I, I wish we could be doing that. It's Yeah, gas is obviously the issue. Definitely trying to persuade artists to kind of price affordably, for sure. All right, so what? one more question for you on the collecting side. What uh, types of art or are there certain artists that you've been into lately that you want to... You feel comfortable shouting out? Let me get my collection up. Yeah, should we just uh, link to your wallet on the in the show notes? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We won't do that. <laughs> I'll send it through now. Hang on, I'll send it through in the chat. I definitely went a bit to town on Lars's geodes. I think I've got twenty of them or something. I think they're so good. What else we got in here? And some Nat Sarkeesian, who's who's really starting to. Get noticed. Landlines art. I love landlines I, I, art. I got I got a few of Nat's works a while ago. Bardo, I think I've got a few of those. Um, California in the Sun, is it? I can't remember what the series is called. Enfantines, Alejandro, I think so good. Oh, you have a, a Gamalt. I really like Gamalt. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, Just... Crankbox is awesome. Um, and to your point, these are so ch- 34 Tezos 4. I mean, yeah. I went pretty wild on Enfantines. I think I've got like 25 of them. <laughs> um, love Yazid's complimentaries. They're so good. Punk Waltz are awesome. Yeah, you have a bunch of Enfantes. This is great stuff. I mean, you know, it, it, it's interesting with FX Hash. I've noticed that some of the collections as of late have felt a little bit homogenous to me as long form you know you have 200 pieces but they're they look kind of similar but then there's a bunch of collections coming out like that so it's like okay i'll have a couple of these and a couple of these a couple of these and i can get my variety across collections or at least the the way that i like to have the variety i'm sure some people want it just within that collection but yeah and and you just you're really not breaking the bank i mean is it fair to say there haven't been any like real blockbuster fx hash ones recently um, I would say the most recent one was the was Asakia. But like that felt like a, a blockbuster to me. Uh September, I think was a little bit before that, which did really well. Uh and it's a bit early to say for the uh, perpendicular inhabitation by Studio Yorktown. That one's gotten a, a ton, ton of secondary volume, like topping the top of the charts type of stuff. Uh but I don't know if the floor price has really sustained. It's just early to say. Yeah, it's four hundred thirty-eight Tez floor. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty good. What did it mint at sixty-four? The bottom. So I missed that one. Not, yeah. not nothing to sneeze at for sure. Yeah, uh, quite a few. But, yeah, a few solitudes. 
But yeah, it, it, it hasn't taken off the way that you're like a dragons or garden monolith has. And I don't, I don't know if we're going to see anything like that. I think it's just like people know about it too much. And, and now things are getting priced a lot higher. I mean, I, I think garden monolith was like 20 Tezos or something at mint. What's your next big collection? If you had to pick one, who's what's moving on FX hash. Yeah. Oh man, this this is a tough question. I mean, I think what's really interesting about FX Hash is that people are now going back to a lot of old collections and are starting to rediscover them. Uh, I really like this collection actually. It's a uh, Towers by ERTDFGCVB. Uh, it's it's obviously like a very technical person here, but it I'm really into this uh, pixel motion art and kind of art with motion, you probably know uh, Kim Asendorf, who's, who's going to be at Bright Moments, Tokyo. It's really, ah, I wish I had seen this stuff before. And so this artist is, is in a similar vein. Uh, Towers is one of their collections. But yeah, I I really don't know, man. I mean, it's the the market has, has been keeping things down. I mean, we look at this stuff every single week, pretty much. And this... Week after week over the last month, the volume has been going down across the board. Ethereum yeah. side, Tezos side. Yeah. It's uh Tez has been going up, I guess. Like I definitely felt less inclined to buy just with the price of Tez going up. That's right. That's right. And I, I think that's it's a little bit natural, but the price of Tez hasn't gone up that much. I mean, it's it's not I mean, 70 it's up, cents. It's up, like, it's up like 45, 50% or so in the past month, I think ish. Right, but remember, it was it was down a lot. Like at the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's coming up yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, I I think of yeah. it as like in my mind around a dollar, as as like kind of like a normal price for it, and it's not significantly up from a dollar, but certainly yeah, dollar twenty three. But no, that that puts a damper on it. I I think we'll see some cool new things coming out of Tezos as always, and. I think in Tezos, it's probably a little bit difficult to to focus on some of the older ones because there's so much great art coming out all the time. Yeah. Dragon's sales today, it looks like. I missed that. It it does. It looks like a couple, perhaps. I was actually looking at it. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, wow. That was one, one big one. Wow. Uh, yes, it's one of the uh, the rare ones there. But, um, well, Jamie, I... I let you go since it's getting late for you. And uh, hey, I really appreciate the time. It was fantastic chatting with you. Uh, where should we direct people to find out more about you and or Verse? It's www.verse.works because most URLs were taken. <laughs> I like it. It's a good one. People do now refer to it, I think, as Verse, Verse Works, which wasn't the band, but there we go. Hey, it happens. We're collectors underscore XYZ now. So it is what it is. So we'll we'll link to your website. We'll link to your Twitter and uh, we'll direct people that way. And awesome. thank you for taking the time and, and sharing thank all your you knowledge. Thank so you for having me. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. So everybody tuning in, thank you. Give uh, Jamie and Verse a follow. Check them out. They have exhibitions all the time with amazing artists. And yeah. Until next time, we'll we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much.
Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.